I want to talk for a few minutes about uh, hidden stuff. Stuff in your life that's uh, hidden. And uh, there are two reactions when somebody starts saying, hey, we're going to talk about hidden stuff. Some of you go, oh my goodness, uh, he's getting at me. I've come to church. I feel really bad being in church anyway because of all the stuff I know that's wrong in my life. There's all these good people around me uh, and oh, dear, it all feels terrible. That attitude is wrong. And then there'll be other people sitting here thinking, well, I haven't got any hidden stuff. I'm okay. I've been a Christian for a long, long time. That attitude is just as wrong. So turn to the person next to you and say, hey, I'm cool about now because we've all got hidden stuff. Deal with it, deal with it before it deals with you. And as we think about Joshua chapter 7, that story that you heard read last uh, uh, Sunday, and that uh, Andrew was, uh, was reading, commentated uh, upon, uh, uh, there's this lesson at the heart of it. And that's this, you may be sure that your sin, your hidden stuff, will find you out. You might be sure that it will find you out. Or to put it another way, your hidden stuff will not always stay hidden. How many times have we seen people rise to greatness and fame only to discover that something that was hidden in their lives, that they tried to forget, they tried to pretend it wasn't there, rises up and wallops them just at the wrong time. The skeleton in the cupboard always comes out. Achan, the man in our story of Joshua chapter 7, and I'll tell you the story as we go, but uh, you might like to have your Bibles open in front of you, page 221 in the Bible that's just sitting in front of you. If you turn to it there, you can follow what I'm saying, and just check uh, that what I'm saying is actually really there, page 221. The man in our story, Achan, did a terrible thing, but then we've all done terrible things, and the catastrophe that befell him The catastrophe that befell him at the end of the story was not because he'd done a terrible thing, but because he'd done a terrible thing and refused to put it right. Deal with your hidden stuff before it deals with you. Let's get into the story together. You see, the people of God had just had this fantastic victory over Jericho. Jericho, the great military stronghold. Hey, if we can conquer Jericho, then Ai, the next city we have to conquer, will be easy. And so verse 2 tells us that Joshua sends out some spies to see what this city of Ai is like. And verse 3 tells us the report. The spies come back and say, hey guys, Ai, it's a piece of cake. It's easy. That's what they meant. We don't all need to go. Just send a few thousand men. We'll be back before lunch. No problem. You can imagine Joshua's relief. After the stress and the strain of Jericho, hey, this is just a minor objective. We'll send a junior commander, a young lieutenant, for whom it would be good experience. Field the younger players, chaps. B-team stuff. And then verse 4, it goes catastrophe wrong. So about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who whipped them, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. What a total tragedy. What an utter shock. They thought it would be easy, and they were routed by the men of Ai. Why did it happen? It happened because they had become complacent. Hard to believe that after all those days at Jericho, up against those walls, where the only thing they could do was to trust God because he was the only one who could sort out the mess they were in, hard to believe that just days later they would attempt AI all by themselves. They had become complacent. There's nothing in chapter 7 about them consulting the Lord. Nothing about them relying on him. Nothing about them doing it his way. Nothing about trusting in his power and so on and so forth. 
All the things they'd learned since Joshua chapter 1, abandoned in a moment of madness. And they turned away from God, and it went terribly wrong. You see, if they'd only spent a moment getting close to God before going to Ai, they would have discovered that actually God was hopping mad with what had happened in Jericho. And we'll think about that in a moment. God was happy, but they didn't. They didn't think about God. They were so full of themselves, full of what they could do. May our spirits be on full alert when we're doing something full of ourselves. They said, we sorted out Jericho. AI will be easy. Home before lunch. So how could they move from trusting God to trusting in themselves? Very easily. That's how. It's incredibly easy to move from trusting in God to trusting in yourself. We've all done it. Think about something God's wanted you to do for the first time and you were uncertain whether you could do it and you weren't sure whether it would be all right. And because you were uncertain, you looked to God, you prayed hard, you trusted him, you took the advice of Christian friends who prayed with you. And then because you were looking to him and trusting in him, you went out and did it and it was a great success. God did something really good through you. But then the next time you think, Well, that wasn't so bad. I've done it once. I'm sure I can do it again. And slowly, but very definitely, we can move from trusting in God to trusting in ourselves. Complacency works its way in. We've got to guard against complacency. People of God, if there's something in your life where you started off really trusting Him and now you're just cruising, hey, may this be a warning. The Bible says this story is a warning to us about being complacent. Maybe you don't pray as much anymore. Maybe you don't listen to God as much anymore. It's more of you and less of Him. Can you remember your baptism when God seemed so close and your heart was so on fire, but now you're just cruising? Hey, this is the only defeat. The only defeat in Joshua. In fact, it's the only time in the Bible that we hear of Jews being, uh, being slain in battle in such, a, in such a way. And at this we read, the hearts of the people melted. And then verse 6. Joshua tore his clothes, and fell face down to the ground. And then he asks three questions. You can see them there in verse 7, verse 8, and verse 9. Three questions that are exactly the same, really. Listen to them. Oh, sovereign Lord, why? Why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Verse uh, 8. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? Verse 9. The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they'll surround us and they'll wipe out your name from the earth. What then will we do for your great name? Joshua's first initial gut response is to blame, to criticize God. It's not God's finest hour. He has gone with his men, without God's support, without God's knowledge, it's all gone terribly wrong, and now it's God's fault. Hey, great being God, don't you think? God, why have you done this? It would have been better if we'd stayed the other side of the Jordan. It would have been better if none of this had ever happened. Why have you brought us here that 36 of our men might be killed? Joshua had failed to ask God. He had got it wrong, but now it was all God's fault. We're a bit like that, aren't we? When something goes wrong, we're quick to criticise. We're quick to criticise others. It's somebody else's fault. And if we can't find somebody else, even if we can find somebody else, uh, we blame God. God, this is your fault. Why did you let it happen to me? What have I done to deserve this? I thought you loved me, God. The kind of heartfelt questions that Carrie was talking about in her story. 
God who had cared for them through the wilderness, God who brought them across the Jordan, God who had brought down the walls of Jericho, they completely ignored him, they failed and it was all his fault. Poor God. Were they being fair on God? Excuse me, I think that was a question. You can, you can tell by the words and the tone in my voice. Were they being fair on God? No. Am I being unfair on God? Is there something I'm giving him a really hard time that really isn't his fault? Am I banging on the door of heaven moaning about something as if it's God that's personally responsible? Am I blaming God for a difficulty, a failure, a pain or a sadness? Are we like Joshua blubbering on the ground when actually what we need to do is take some responsibility? So God says to Joshua, verse 10, hey, stop, stop praying, stand up. Stop, stand up. Stop this blaming, stop this accusing, stop this criticizing. Stand up and take responsibility. God says to, to Joshua... It's time to stop blaming me where you shouldn't and to take responsibility for where you should. And it's no easier for us to hear that message than it would have been for Joshua. For those who are damaged and despairing, God speaks his love and care. But for those who are wallowing around in self-pity, blaming stuff on God, God says, hey, stop, stand up. Let's get this thing sorted out. Let's get this show back on the road. Something's gone wrong. Let's put it right. And here it comes, you see it's gone terribly wrong. Israel has sinned. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. And then the most chilling words of the whole chapter for a people who are totally dependent upon God to stay on, in the land. I will not be with you anymore. I will not be with you anymore. Stop criticising and do what? Well, verse 13 tells us. Go consecrate. Stop criticizing. Instead of criticizing, instead of criticism, start consecrating. And what does that mean? It's one of those naff uh, uh, religious words. So let's get rid of that and replace it with this phrase that perhaps we can, we, we can get a hold of better. Clear out. Clear out the stuff that's wrong. Sort it out. Put it right. So what had gone wrong? Well, God had said, when you take Jericho, whatever you do, don't take the plunder. Don't take the plunder. Verse 18 of chapter 6, a couple of pages back in, in your Bible. Keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. All the silver and the gold and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Don't take any plunder. As Jericho fell, can you imagine the scene? Achan and all the other men are charging into the city now that the walls have been demolished. And as they enter a house to clear it, the other soldiers moved on. And Achan finds himself in quietness and solitude. There in this front room. And verse 21 tells us, of chapter 7, tells us what happened. He says, when I saw it, when I saw the 15,000 pounds worth of plunder, there was a Babylonian robe. What was it? An Armani suit, a Versace dress, something for the missus? 2,000 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold. And as he stood there in that moment of isolation, you can imagine him saying to himself, as the war was going on outside and everyone was busy with their own thing, no one will know. No one will notice. What a waste. It won't be missed. And in the isolation of that front room, the Bible says he looked, he longed, he took, and he lied. When I saw 
the plunder. Beautiful robe. 200 shekels of silver. I coveted them and took them. Imagine him creeping back to his tent under the cover of darkness with this plunder under his robe. Heart pounding, palm sweating. He gets inside the tent and there's a sigh of relief as he shares it all with his wife. And together they move one of the kids who's sleeping and they dig a hole in the ground and they put this plunder under the ground and they move the child back who is still asleep. There's such joy, such relief. The kids' college fees, the holiday, the car, it's all there. But then a few days later, there's a tragedy in the tent next door. They were friends with the family next door, which brought the tragedy even more to their own home. Dreadful news, a loving husband, a devoted father, the breadwinner, had been killed fleeing from Ai. They thought it was just a skirmish. It had gone horribly wrong. And the best man in their neighbourhood was dead. And Achan and his family hear the chilling diagnosis. That which is devoted is among you, O Lord. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. The hidden stuff is going to be exposed. Condemnation is coming, but not for a while. There's still time. If you know the story, you'll notice what a convoluted way God puts his finger on the person who had sinned. God could have gone right straight to Achan, but he doesn't. He chooses a convoluted method of selecting the tribe and then the clan of that tribe and then the family of that clan of that tribe and then the man. Why such a long-winded approach? Because God is giving him time to confess. Condemnation always comes slowly, so there's time to confess. Will Achan put his hand up? Will Achan throw himself on the mercy of God and says, in a moment of utter madness, I was ridiculously stupid, I'm terribly sorry, these men are my fault, I've sinned, it's me. Or will he pretend that the verse I read at the beginning doesn't exist about your sins finding you out? Will he put his trust in his own knowledge that no one knew? Or will he remain confident that Psalm 139 is false? When the Bible says that God's familiar with all our ways. And as they cast lots to discover whose fault it was, Achan decides not to confess. This is his mistake. This is his terrible undoing. He decides to keep his hidden stuff hidden. He's going to try and bluff God. Fancy that, bluffing God. Achan, who had tasted so much of God's goodness who'd drunk from the water of the rock in the desert, who'd walked on dry land in the middle of the Jordan, who'd with his family walked around Jericho, they'd shouted together, they'd heard the trumpets blowing together, they'd seen the walls come down together. Achan, who knew so much of God's goodness and privilege, but now willfully, stubbornly, arrogantly, holding on to some hidden stuff, believing no one will know. A boy is standing outside the head teacher's office. And another adult passes by. They always do, don't they, when you're standing outside the headmaster's office and you want no one to see. Another adult passes by and says to the boy, what are you doing here? The boy says, well, the thing is, yesterday, as everyone charged out of class, someone pulled the fire extinguisher off the wall and sprayed it over everybody. And the adult said, well, who was it? Was it you? To which the boy replied, 
I don't know. I don't know. He did know. What he didn't know was whether he was going to confess or not. I don't know. Achan knew, but he tries like that little lad to bluff God. It's a terrible mistake. The process begins, verse 16, early in the morning. Israel uh, uh, comes forward and the tribes are called forward and Judah was called. It's Achan's tribe. You can imagine Achan, uh, uh, the, the rush of adrenaline around his body as he hears his tribe being called. Achan, confess, come on, throw yourself on God's mercy. Then the clan of the Jerahites was called. It was Achan's clan. Oh, Achan, come on. Remember Rahab, the pagan prostitute who was saved. Remember the Gibeonites, the pagans who were deceitful who were saved. Come on, Achan. Then the family of Zimram was called. It was Achan's family. Achan, remember God saves. Remember that God has always, always, always granted mercy to everyone who asks. God saves. Don't do this to yourself. Don't do this to your family. And as they came forward, man by man, you can imagine the whole of heaven crying out, come on, Achan, put your hand up. And then his name is called, and it's too late. It's too late. Condemnation fell. His hidden stuff exposed. He didn't sort it. So it will sort him. What stopped him confessing? Pride, shame, embarrassment, humiliation. Oh, how often we're as stupid as Achan. How often we've denied ourselves so much for reasons so small. The Bible says this story is an example. Hey, I urge you today... Sort out your hidden stuff before it sorts you. Deal with it before it deals with you. Maybe there's something hidden in your life and the net's closing in. Don't put it off. Don't delay. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just and He will, He will, He will forgive us and purify us, clear out all the stuff that's wrong. Will you do it? Get it sorted. We've all got hidden stuff. Let's deal with it today.